starting in Matthew chapter 1. And if your Bible is open, if your phone is open, um, one of the things that you're going to notice is that starting in chapter 1, verse 1, it's just a list of names. And these are typically the types of passages that are easy to skip over in the Bible, right? Because there doesn't seem to be, at first glance anyway, much inspiration. There's, you read a list of names, and there's nothing about that that just inspires you, and it's hard to, to memorize these and to tuck them away. There's no stories. There's no plot. There's no characters, right, that, that you get to see their development. And so uh, at, at one glimpse, lists of names are just easy to skip over. But one of the things that has been stirring in my heart is that it is so much more. That the way that this writer chooses to start, there is, there's so much more there. And so I was thinking about our church family. And I can sit down and I can write out all of our names on a piece of paper. And I've, and I've done this with, with, our, with, our, with, with many of us that I'll, that I'll write down our names and I'll, and I'll pray for us and I'll pray for, for you and I'll pray for things that are going on in your life. But I just, I thought, man, if, if this morning we created this big list of all the people's names and we, and we read them out loud, some of the people you would know and some of them you'd have no clue. Some of them, you would know their stories and the, and the meaning, the things that they were going through, and others, it's, it's just the name. And I was thinking about this list of names, and, 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 and this is what it is, but it's so much more. And what God was stirring in me is the, the, the stories behind the people that are listed here, and even beyond that, what God was doing. What God was doing is he was moving through these, these lists of names, just this big activity of, of God. And so this morning, I want to jump in and just go, what in the world is God doing here? Beyond the names, bigger than the names, but most certainly through the names, what is God doing? And so I want to read our text to us. I will probably butcher 10 or 11 of these names. I don't know many more than that. I think I'll get the rest of them. But this is Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 1. It says, this is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose name was Tamar. Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Amenadab, Amenadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Solomon, Solomon the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz the mother of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. Abijah, the father of Asa. Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram. Jehoram, the father of Uzziah. Uzziah, the father of Jotham. Jotham, the father of Ahaz. Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. Manasseh, the father of Ammon. Ammon, the father of Josiah. And Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel. Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel, the father of Abihud. Abihud, the father of Eliakim. Eliakim, the father of Azor. Azor, the father of Zadok. Zadok, the father of Achim. Achim, the father of Elihud. Elihud, the father of Eliezer. Eliezer, the father of Mathan. Mathan, the father of Jacob. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. And Mary was a mother of Jesus, who was called the Messiah. Thus, there were 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. This is the word of the Lord from Matthew 1. You're like, why in the world are we reading a list of names on our first week of Christmas, right? I was asking myself a couple of questions as I was preparing for today. You know, 
what did this mean in the first century to the Jews that this was written? And, and then what does it mean to us today? You know, see, in the first century, what we have to understand is that Matthew, the, the writer of this, was writing to a Jewish audience, a Jewish culture. And in the first century in Judaism, lineage was a huge deal. You kept family records and you kept up with your family tree and you did this for several reasons, for inheritance purposes. You did this to, to set your family um, property rights, to validate your familial and societal rights. And so when a first century Jew would have gotten their eyes on this list, when they would have been sitting in worship and they would have read through this list, one of the very first things that they would have seen in this is a steady faithfulness of God. One of the very first things they would have heard is the steady faithfulness of God. See, as a good Jew, thinking about the family tree that they had come through, thinking about the origins of how their nation began, they would have went back to Abraham, the very first name that was listed here, and they would have been reminded of that day when God showed up to Abraham and he says, Abraham, I'm gonna bless the socks off of you. And I wanna bless the entire world through you and your family tree. And the people of Israel knew this. And they clung to that. They knew that God was a truth teller. Several thousand years later, God spoke again to someone in this family tree through this man named David. And he says, David, I'm gonna bless you. In fact, so much that you are always gonna have one of your descendants to sit on the, on the throne. That someone from your family will never fail to be dethroned, that there will always be someone who is sitting, who is reigning, who is ruling. So to the first century Jew, this genealogy from a bird's eye view, what they would have said is, God did it. It would have been one of those moments where they went, wow. God did exactly what God said he was going to do. He kept his word. God did it. God did it. He's, he's faithful. He's, he's trustworthy. He did the exact thing that he told us he was going to do. And I was thinking about my sophomore year of college, I see my buddy Crockett over here. Uh, I was an RA and, and Crockett was on my floor. He was a freshman. And I remember the leading up to Labor Day weekend. You remember this? He and a, a couple of his friends, he's like, I'm like, hey, what are you doing this weekend? And most people were like going camping or going to see their friends. He's like, we are driving to California. We're going to put our toes in the water and then we're driving all the way back. I'm like, dude, you have a three-day weekend. He's like, I know. So I see them on Monday night. I'm like, hey, what'd you do? He's like, we drove to California, stuck our toes in the water, ate some in and out, and now we're here. And it was one of those moments where we were sitting and I'm like, you're crazy, but you did it. You, you did the thing that you said you were going to do. And, and I, I was thinking about this, that for the, for the Jews, man, God had, had told them, I'm gonna bless you. I'm gonna bring a king into the world that will forever sit on the throne. And to the good Jews that knew the scriptures, I go, God, you did it. And we could stop here this morning. We could spend the rest of our time talking about the, the faithfulness of God, that God always follows through on his word. But all week, something different has been stirring in my heart. That this list of names is not just God did it, but it's so much more. This list of names is, yeah, but it's not that God just did it. Here's how he did it. And here's who he did it through. And I think there's something really good in here for us this morning. First thing that I want us to notice is what kind of family that God chose to work through. 
to bring his son, our savior, into the world. And it's super important that we hear this, that we understand this. This past week, I got to go down to Haiti, and I told you this last Sunday. Ronnie and Steph are two people from our church family. They moved down to Haiti two and a half years ago. They're, they're taking care of, of children and foster care, helping these children find families. And as I was sitting with them visiting, you, know, you, you, you realize, man, that, that they don't just want anyone to have these kids. That the family that, that, that they want these kids to grow up in, the family that the, the moms and dads that they want raising them, man, they want parents that are stable, that are healthy, that are consistent. They want parents that are, are safe, that are, are loving, that are kind, and that are good. And yet when we look at this story, these, this, this list of names, at the family that God chose for his son Jesus to come through, you want to know what they were? So unbelievably far from perfect. And so unbelievably far from consistent and stable and good and kind. What I love about the Bible is it has this this way of revealing people's real lives. Not just the Instagram highlight reel. In the Bible, you get the good and the bad. You start looking into these names. The very first name on there, Abraham. And I don't know if you even know anything about Abraham. Maybe this is the first time you've, you've heard of his name or maybe you've, you've grown up and you've, and you've learned about Abraham. But let me tell you a little, about, a little bit about Abraham. He was a liar. Bold-faced lied several times. The next name on the list, Isaac, also a liar. Repeated the patterns that he saw, he learned from his father. His grandson, the next person listed on there, Jacob, deceiver, liar. The next name on there, Judah. Listen to this. Had sex with a woman that he thought was a prostitute that was actually his daughter-in-law. So the following two names, Perez and Zerah, were Judah's sons and his grandsons. Rahab, a prostitute. David slept with a woman that was married to another man. When she got pregnant, David, as king over the entire land, had her husband killed to cover up the scandal. You're like, what a pick-me-up, right? What we begin to see as we look in this family tree is that God did not pick people who were perfect. God did not pick people who had their lives together to bring his son into the world through. In fact, it was far from it. That these people were sinners. These people that were listed here, they were far from, far from perfect. People just like you and just like me. And if you come here today and you're burdened by your sin, if you're sitting in this seat being haunted by your sin, knowing that you're not perfect, I hope that you see that God is in the business of using these types of people with these types of past to bring his son, Jesus, the savior into the world. God could have chosen any family to bring his son into the world through, but he chose this imperfect family. Second thing that I want us to see, it's important that we understand this from this list of names is the inclusivity of God. So the first thing I want us to notice is the type of family that God chose to bring his son into. The second thing I want us to notice is the the inclusive nature of God. 
Maybe you picked up on this, maybe you didn't. There are five women listed in this genealogical list. And in a time of a patriarchal society when descent was typically traced through men, God shows his value of both genders, male and female. Or the fact that there were several Gentiles who were included here. People who didn't share the bloodline, who weren't pure Israelites. And what we see about God's heart in this list, and you have to go below the surface. You can't just read it. What you sit with it, as you think about these people, what you see is that God's desire is to include. And what we'd discover if we had time to dig into these people's lives is that anyone who would believe in God, Anyone who, who, who would choose to put their life in God's hands and say, God, I want in your family. I want to know you, God. I want to be used for your glory. That any person, male or female, Jew or Gentile, sinner or saint, any person that came to God and said, God, would you use me? God, would you include me? This genealogical list is the father circling his arms, saying, yes, yes. I love the story of Rahab in Joshua chapter two. I'll just read this to you real quick. You can write that down and go back and read it later. This pagan, she's a woman that doesn't live and she's not a people of Israel. The, the Israelites are about to come into and conquer her country. And in Joshua chapter two, verse nine, it says this, she says, I know, I know that the Lord has given you this land, that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sion and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed when we heard it, our hearts melted in fear. And everyone's courage failed because of you for the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. This is a pagan who's saying this. She says, now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I've shown kindness to you. Give me a sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them, that you will save us from death. And this woman, she'd heard of God. She didn't know the law. She didn't know the heart, but she had heard of God, just like many of you who come here today. You don't know all about him. You didn't grow up in church. And she's this woman and she says, can I be a part of your family? I want in. And God's answer to anyone who comes to him and says, can I be a part of your family? Will you include me? The answer is always yes. You see this in Ruth. You see this in the Gentile people who are listed in the story. If you come here today and you're wondering if God would ever include you, if God could ever use you to bring his son Jesus to the world that is so desperately in need of him, the answer from the genealogy is not that he can, but that he wants to. Third thing that I want us to see in the genealogy, and this was something that I was just really wrestling with this week, that many people who are listed here chose not to obey God. In fact, they chose to use their lives to work against God. And so if you were to go back and read in the Old Testament in Kings and in Chronicles, what you would see is that many of these people, especially in verses seven through 11, this is what the Bible says about them, that they did evil in the sight of the Lord. 
Jehoram and Uzziah and Ahaz and Manasseh and Amma. That here's what the Lord was showing me. That no evil can stop God's plans. That no amount of disobedience, no amount of defiance, no amount of resistance, nothing in all of creation can stop God from doing what God wants. Do you hear me? That there is no power in this earth. That there is no person in this earth that is strong enough to stop God from doing what God wants. That when God wants something and when God speaks something, it happens. And we have too small of a view of God when we start to look at the world and the problems around us and we go, there's no hope. For our God is always working. He's always working to fulfill his promises through the bad, through the resistance, through the disobedience, through the hard, God is always working. See, one of the things, if you were to go back and you were to, to read through these names and to be familiar with the Israelites, the story of the, the, the people of, of, of Judaism, there was a time when things were looking bright for their nation. Their ancestors had favor with God. So although Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Judah and Rahab and David, they definitely had sinful past, especially early on in their lives. One of the things that you see is that they matured and they grew up and they developed this heart for God, this allegiance to God, this desire to walk faithfully with God. And they put their, 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 their past and they put their sin behind them. They said, God, we want to be yours. And the scriptures over and over again talk about these men being friends of God and men and women of God and people who had God's heart. And there was a time when the nation of Israel, they looked at their ancestors and they knew that God's favor rested on them. There was a time when things were looking bright for the nation of Israel, when David, their king, their ideal king, their strong and handsome and mighty and charismatic king, David, they thought they'd arrived. But as soon as David died, the kingdom started to wane. The people's hope, the people of Israel, their hope began to turn into despair as a kingdom went on this roller coaster of a ride where there were some good kings who followed God and some bad kings that didn't. And it eventually led to the collapse of the kingdom, almost becoming obsolete, completely powerless. But the one thing that people held on to, the thing that they never let go of was that God told them that he would bless them. He told them through Abraham, he told them through David that he would establish a king that would not end. And the people, no matter what was going on in the lives, in their individual lives, no matter what was going on in their, in their kingdom, through it all, the good and the bad, the rise and the fall, the disobedience and the obedience alike, God was working. That God had, was keeping his promises that God was always working towards the good, towards establishing the kingdom. Some of you come here this morning and you're like, I can't believe we're talking about hope. 
if this guy only knew what was going on in my life, we wouldn't be talking about this. And I acknowledge that I have no clue what's going on in a lot of your lives. The heartache, the struggles, the pain, and you come here this morning, you go, there's no hope for me. God is working. God is always working. Through the hard, through your disobedience, through your rebellion, that God is always working. Down in Haiti this week, got to know one of the, the stories of one of the little girls that was living in the orphanage there. When she was born, her mother died. The mom's sister raised her. Not too much after, the, the, the aunt who was raising the child, she also died. And in Haiti, there's a strong voodoo influence. And so the people reason that, that what must be going on is there's a curse on this child. And in order to stop the curse, this child must be killed. This little girl must be killed. And so the father of this child hears about this story. Could you imagine going home today? Like this is so foreign from our lives, right? Can you imagine going home and, and locking your doors and knowing at any moment that the village is gonna show up and they're gonna take your daughter and they're gonna sacrifice her? The dad doesn't know what to do, so he finds out about this orphanage. And he gives his daughter. He said, I wanna raise this girl. But if I keep her, they'll kill her think about how sad that is, how hard that is. And you go, there's no hope there. Think about that dad, this little girl, all that she's been through. And yet God is always working. The fact that they're getting to live in this house with Ronnie and Steph who love her and protect her and are teaching her about Jesus. And I'm not saying all the hard things just disappear, but I'm telling you that in the midst of hard things, there's hope. The things in your life that you're going through, God is working. He's always working. And the people of Israel held on to this as they looked at the kingdom that had fallen and all their heroes that couldn't save them, all these people that disappointed them, all these people who had moral failure and had sinned and they held on to the promises of God. And on that Christmas day, the true king came. A king that wouldn't live in a palace a king that wouldn't distance himself from the people, taking from the people, taxing the people to make his life better. No, on that Christmas day, the king came and he chose to live among the people. The king came and chose not to, to take from the people to better himself, but the king came and he gave himself to better the people around him. And that king would be crucified on the Friday afternoon on a Roman cross. And that king would be laid in a tomb that was borrowed 
And that king on three days later would roll the stone away that held him in death. And he would come out and he would appear to his disciples and to many other men and women proving that death could not keep its hold on him. And then when the people of Israel and the people around the world, when they looked at their lives, they realized they had nothing to hope for, nothing they could lean on except for God. And what they found is that God satisfied, that God was faithful. They found that God came through Jesus the King, not just so that you and I could be forgiven of sins. He had such bigger plans for us than that. Not so we could just get a get out of hell card, a get out of free hell card. No, God had bigger plans for us than that. God's plan was that Riley, Riley Curry would know God. And that Taylor Hendon and Taylor Hendon would know God. And that Callie Almost Lawhorn would know God. And that Piper would know God and David and Katie would know God and Mike and Laura would know God and that Luke and Sarah would know God and Andrew and Brian would know God, that Jordan would know God and Joel would know God, that we would know God. The invisible, the internal, the, the eternal. That we would serve God. That we would be included in God's family. And that God got through Jesus what God always wanted. That he found more family. More imperfect people. That he could work through. To bring his son to a world that so desperately needed him. Do you hear that? That God looked at us and he saw so much more than people who just, he wanted out of hell. He has written our names. And he has made us to know him, a kingdom of priests to serve him so that through us, a world that does not know him could come to know him. Jesus is a king that didn't demand that we would be perfect. He's a king that didn't demand that we would know everything and have our lives put together. No, he's a king that came knowing that we weren't perfect, that we haven't done everything right. And that's why we need him. The name Jesus, his, his name means the Lord saves. He is more than an instructor. He's more than a good teacher. He is the only savior. He's the only hope of the world. There is no other apart from Jesus. Leaning your life and putting your hope in anything else other than Jesus will only disappoint you. God is looking not for perfect people. God is looking for people who will listen to him. God is looking for people who will trust in him, who are willing to say to him, yes, who are willing to be used to bring his son to a world that so desperately needs him. This is how it started with Abraham. This is how it ended with Mary. God showed up and said, I want to use you. And Abraham said, yes, Lord. God showed up to Mary and said, I want to use you. She said, yes, Lord. God doesn't need perfect, put-together people. He needs people who will raise their hand and say, yes, Lord. It was amazing. Last Sunday, I told you guys I was going to Haiti. We spent some time listening in silence and just sitting and reflecting. And during the respond time, I said, hey, if you feel like God is stirring something, come and talk to me in the back. And Justin, 
a friend up here to my right, he comes up to me during communion. He says, I know this sounds strange. He said, I feel like God is telling me that I'm supposed to go to Haiti with you. I'm like, that's two days from now. <laughs> His wife said, yeah, you're, uh, I think this is what God is telling you to do. You need to go. Doesn't matter the cost. Doesn't matter if you're going to have to take vacation days to go. If God is telling you, you just need to go. And so this crazy man went with me to Haiti last week. God is always in the business of looking for people who will say yes to him. The invitation of the genealogy is not to be perfect. The invitation of the genealogy is to trust in him. The Bible says the righteous will live by what? By faith. Not by perfection. Hebrews chapter two, or Ephesians chapter two, verse eight, it says, it's by grace that you have been saved through faith, not by works. Is this not from yourselves? This grace, this faith, it is a gift of God. What are we supposed to have faith in? How do we live by faith? What does that even mean for us? In Nashville, Tennessee, 2017, calling us to have faith that Jesus' righteous life is all that God needs to save us. Do you understand me? Faith is that we accept that no matter how hard we try, we cannot do it. We cannot save ourselves. We cannot keep every law. We can't hold our tongues. We can't control our minds. But when we begin to understand that God loves us, that he wants to include us, that he came to save us, the real us, not the ideal us, the, the, the real us with all of our sin and all of our baggage and all of our shame that he has come through Jesus to save us and to include us. It's not about us working harder. It's not about us being more disciplined. It's about us believing that God really does love us. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God that God wants us to live with him and for him. And we have hope and it's all because of Jesus. It's not because you're sitting here this morning. It's not because you read your Bible or because you pray at night. The sufficiency of Jesus. I was praying last night before bed. I was asking the question, like, what does God really want for Brandon? What does God want for this church family that I just... I love and enjoy leading so much. What does he want for us? The reality is that hard things and bad things are happening all around us. They're happening right now. They're gonna to continue to happen. God's desire for us has to be something that is independent of the things that are going on around us. The thing that God longs for us is what's going on in here. The things that the external and the circumstances and the things that are unfolding around us cannot touch. His desire for us is not that we would be good people. It's not that we would get in a house church. It's not that we would, we would read our Bible. His desire for us is that we would love him with our whole heart. 
that we would get to this point in our lives where nothing else matters to us than walking with God and being obedient to God and loving God. His desire for us is that we would love the people who are sitting beside us and in front of us and behind us and beside us at work and behind us on the streets and beside us in the dorms, that we would love those people as much as we love ourselves. His desire for us is that the Holy Spirit that is inside of us would actually lead our lives. And that when God shows up to us on a Sunday and says, I want you to go to Haiti, that we'd say, yes, Lord. But we get to decide. We get to decide what we will believe. We get to decide what we will take hold of. We get to decide what we will do with the things that God has spoken the life that he's given to us. This list of names, every single one of these people, they chose. Some chose to work for God, some chose to work against God, and through it all, God was working because God is bigger. You're gonna use your life working for God or against God, no matter what you do, God is bigger. You spend your entire life working against God, trying to convince the world that Jesus is not king and his plans will prevail. He has told us. He's promised us. I've come to save you through Jesus. And I am coming back for you. And that hope, it anchors us, it grounds us through the hard, through the hard things of life. Through dads in Hades that don't get to raise their daughters. Through the, through the divorce, through the sickness through the pain, the hope we have that Christ will return. Hebrews chapter nine says, he will appear a second time not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. He is coming back, regardless of what we do with him. But he so longs for us to be a part of bringing his son to the world. Here in just a minute, we're gonna take communion. I invite you, if, if you come here today and, and you're not a Christian, but you want to give your life to Jesus, you can do that. There'll be some men and women at the back that respond, man, they'll have badges on. We'd love to talk with you. We'd love to baptize you. We will, we will give our lives helping you come to know Jesus as King. If you want to give your life to Jesus, when, when the band gets back up here and leads us in worship, go to the respond banner. If you come here today and, and the Holy Spirit's just stirring your heart and ripping your heart open, you're going, man, I want more of God. Come to the back. Let people pray for you. Or as you're taking communion, share that and go, man, God, would you pour out your spirit on me? Would you give me more of you? Or if you need to confess sin, do that. As you, as you take communion, come to the back, let us pray for you. Others of you, as you take communion, as you eat that bread, as you drink that cup, share what God is stirring in your heart. Share the things that God is showing you. Share the things that he's teaching you. Share the things that he's convicting of. Let this communion time be a rich time of centering and aligning. And then I want to challenge us this week, all of us, Christian and those who aren't yet followers of Jesus, to do three things as we leave today. To sit with the Lord, to see what he's doing, and to share what he's doing. I invite you to sit with the Lord every day this week, to sit in his presence. I'd encourage you to, to read through the book of Luke, to read a chapter of Luke a day. Listen to the Lord. Pray, sit in his presence. 
See what he does. And it's gonna be hard. The first two or three or four days are hard. But when you start to have breakthrough, when you start to connect with his heart, you'll want nothing more. And so I invite you to sit in his presence. The second thing I invite you to do is to see what he's doing around you. Who are the coworkers? Who are the people in your family? Who are your neighbors that God is putting in your path? What are the things that he's doing? How can you help? How can you serve? How can you give? How can you pray? How can you love? I encourage you to sit. I encourage you to see. And I encourage you to share. That every night, if you're sitting around the, in the apartment with your roommates, if you're sitting around the dorm with your friends, if you're eating supper with your family or whatever you're doing, I, I encourage you just to share that day where you saw God. Share where you needed God. Share the times where you failed. Share the times you said the things you didn't want to say. Share the thing that you thought something you didn't want to say. And, and share the, the, the fact that, that, that on Christmas, in this Advent season, you still need a Savior. And this is what we're going to do as a church family. We're going to sit, we're going to see, we're going to share. Let me pray for us and we'll take communion. God, thanks for these men and women. Thank you for this morning. Pour out your spirit on us, God. That's my request. Just pour out your spirit. Come and meet us in this place and pour out your spirit. Give us more of yourself, God. Help us to see you. Help us to feel you. Help us to know you. Let the, the walls of our hearts fall down. And would you come in, King of glory? Would you give us faith? Would you give us joy? Would you bring us hope? Would you bring us healing? Would you just come and would you dwell in our hearts as we leave this place for your glory? In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.